Thank you, Lord. God is so good, isn't he? Isn't he good? And uh, we just uh, are so excited for what God is doing in this hour. <clears throat> As I began, I sat down to study, and uh, I sought the Lord, and I said some things last week and a couple of weeks ago that must be stated again, and that is that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the same God forever. And sometimes it seems like God was a particular way in a particular time. It may appear that parts of God were for a particular era in history, and then those parts were not the same anymore. But God is the same always. And I want you to say this out loud because I really believe that people have forgotten this and we, we make up all kinds of excuses to try to make sense of our lack of understanding. And that is this, that God, I want you to say this out loud with me, God is supernatural. God spoke into nothingness, <clears throat> and instantly it was. Your human mind can't comprehend that. Because if you close your eyes and you imagine nothingness, it still looks like something. Nothingness is like blank space. You know, it might be blackness. You know, there might be black with white specks. Does everybody see the same thing when we close our eyes? Little lights flashing around, right? Do we all get that same... I don't know what you see. I know what I see. I think that's the lights in here that kind of shine through your eyelids a little. Or you just saw them, so when you close your eyes, your eyes are still kind of seeing them, right? <clears throat> so that's nothingness to us. You have to understand that God spoke. The Bible says that in the beginning, he created the heavens and the earth, and it was formless, and it was void. There was nothingness. There was, it was, there was darkness. But yet... He spoke into that nothingness and created everything that we see and that we know. It doesn't even make sense. And what we do as human beings is we try to subliminally, we don't even realize we do it, normalize God. We try to make sense of everything even without realizing what we're doing. We want to understand God. We want to understand, right? We sp and, and there's nothing wrong with in-depth studies. I love that. I believe that God wants that. That's okay to try to sit down and wonder and think about it as long as that does not become your picture of God. We can try to understand, and some things we do get some understanding on, but in the areas where we lack understanding, which, let's just be honest, is all of it, but God gives us glimpses. You know, you have a glimpse of things. In the areas that we think we know, we don't really know, and in the areas that we don't know, we must understand that God is a supernatural God, 
and that he has a plan and that he has a purpose. This is not Christian cliche, Christianese, that God's got a plan and God's got a purpose. We say it, you know, sometimes because, you know, that's what we have to say, but he actually does. It's just outside of our, our understanding and God in his Bible uh, does these supernatural things, these supernatural events. And yet today, we don't necessarily see them the way that we think we should see them or see them the way that we read that they saw them. So our mind tries to interpret it and create excuses like, well, that's how God did things then. That was Old Testament, or that was because Jesus was on the earth, or that's because the disciples had the Holy Spirit, but God is still God, but he's not that way in the earth today. And that is a lie from the devil. You know, I, be, I looked at this story of Pharaoh and this story of the miraculous again, and I want to look at that today. And what I began to see was that they witnessed a supernatural God doing supernatural events right in front of them that we are in awe of. But if you actually read between the lines, what you find is a people that barely recognized it. Did you ever notice that? Pharaoh and the Egyptians, they see these things, but they barely recognize God. It says that God hardened his heart, but... God hardened a heart that was already hard. He said, I know Pharaoh's heart. It's hard. That's what the word says. I'm not making that up. People say, oh, well, see, God, he just, he, some people he uses for evil and some people for good. That's not what the word says. The word says, I know his heart. It's hard. So God worked with that hardness for our benefit, for his people's benefit, but it was already hard. He refused, I don't know your God, who is your God? And then we see that the children of Israel, they witness all these miraculous things, and they get to the Red Sea, and they say to Moses, why did you bring us over here to die? As if everything they had seen had just been wiped from their memory. It's unbelievable. We read it like, God, why aren't you doing what you did in the Bible? And is it possible <laughs> that God is actually doing miraculous things? And this is what I believe. Every second of every day around the entire world, in your families, in your marriage, for your children, for your finances, for your nation's leader, I mean, in innumerable, I mean, just unbelievable. You go swimming in the ocean and, and an angel punches a shark in the nose to keep it away from you. You never even know it until you're in heaven one day and he shows you. Is it possible that God is just as supernatural and we are just as stubborn and stiff-necked as humans always were? Last week, we looked in the book of Exodus how <clears throat> it says in Exodus chapter 14, they were in hot pursuit 
the Egyptians of the Israelites and they trapped them against the Red Sea, as we've just mentioned. And the Bible says in Exodus chapter 14, he says, verse 17, And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they will charge into the Red Sea after the Israelites. My great glory, everybody say, his great glory, will be displayed through Pharaoh and his troops, his chariots and his charioteers. So God, and we this was last week's sermon, you can go and listen to that. But let me just review this quickly, that God uses all things in the scene. Everybody say, in the scene and in the unseen. We could get into a whole depth of that. It would take much longer than last week's sermon to really look at what God is doing. And we don't need to micromanage God because babies are being born and the elderly are dying. There are car accidents, uh, car accidents and there are sicknesses and there are marriages and there are parties and there are those at church and there's war and, and the animals are pro recreating and the sun and the stars and the earth is all continuing in motion, and it looks like that's all that's happening. And yet, in the unseen, God is moving all those pawns and pieces together for a great purpose. Who has been in the right place at the right time in your life? And you know that it was God. Do you realize, and I've mentioned this before, do you realize how much has to happen for that precise moment? I've said this before, if you brush your teeth for five seconds longer in the morning, it could change that moment just like that. God is so good, and the Bible says that he uses all things. It all works together for the good of those who love him are called according to his purpose. So he said, I'm going to use this situation. Everybody say, I'm going to use this situation. That's the Lord speaking to us today. I'm going to use this situation for my glory. That's what the word says here. And he says, when my glory is displayed through them, I'm going to use this situation and these people and this nation for my glory. And when I do, all the world, all the known world, this is the world. Egypt is a picture of the world. You could do your word studies and really go through your word. They were at this particular moment in history. This was the superpower of the world. And it says that all of Egypt will see my glory. When God does what he's going to do to display his glory, he uses this nation, these people, uses you and I, and all of it is working together for his glory. And then it says, and when the people of Israel saw, verse 31, when the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe, or your, your translation may have said they had the fear of the Lord, and they put their faith in the Lord and in his servant Moses. So God is always doing things for his glory so that the world will see it and so that his people will see it. Everybody say that out loud. God is doing things 
in the earth so that the world will recognize him and so that his church recognizes him. It's two separate things. And I began to just meditate on this as we're moving into it. I want to speak to you for the next few minutes. I began to meditate on this picture. And I began to think about this, that God will be glorified in this time we are living in. I believe right now. One way or the other, God gets his glory. He always does. He always will. Doesn't matter how stubborn, doesn't matter how great a nation is, doesn't matter if it takes 430 years, that's how long they waited to be released from Egypt's slavery. God will be glorified. And I mentioned that last week. It needs to be said again. I just believe because we are his mouthpieces into the earth. We are his ambassadors. We need to proclaim the truths of God and the truths of his word. God will be glorified in this nation. You ready for this? Wow. This is going to shake some heavens above this state. God will be glorified in New York State. God will be glorified in New York State. No way, Pastor. I believe it. You know, God still loves this nation. But New York, nope. New York, California, I don't know about those two states. The rest of the nation, yeah, God's, God's going to be glorified, but not those states. God will be glorified in this state of New York. I don't know how, and I don't know when, but one way or the other, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Jesus was the greatest display of God's glory. And yet, this is what my word says. It says that even though he was the greatest display of God's glory, some accepted him and were blessed, but most of the world continued to scoff even after his resurrection. This is a moment in history, I believe, no different then many, many moments in history I read through my word, including Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, the most glorious display that God had ever done on the earth, way more glorious than creation of Adam and Eve, just creating man, was that now the redemption, the unstealable Adam and Eve, that's what the Bible says, that Jesus is the new Adam. And that we put our hope in him where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves cannot break in and steal. It cannot be taken, it cannot be stolen, the devil cannot take it away ever again. It was the greatest display of God's glory ever in history. And my word says that they scoffed. In fact, the Jews paid they paid. They actually funded. Did you know that? The Jews funded fake news to say that the disciples stole Jesus' body. And you know that that funded fake news is what, if you were to Google Jesus in our modern era, Sure, you're going to find Christian things about him. You're also going to find an enormous amount of worldly, fleshy, 
earthly information that is godless and just says he was a man who walked on the earth, but most likely he was just a man, not just most likely, they're going to say 100% he was just a man, but most likely his body was never found because they stole his body. In this moment, I believe that God is going to do an amazing display of his glory, but this is what I've been getting from the Lord. You're going to have to have eyes to see and ears to hear to recognize it. I believe he's already doing it, but there was a group of people that missed Jesus when he was alive, and there were people that missed him after the resurrection. And it's not just that he's about to do something, but we are in a glory of God moment now. But you cannot look and try to expect or perceive what you think it's going to be or look like or feel like because my word says over and over and over again that when he actually does miraculous things, the very next day, their faith is gone like he never did it to begin with. Do you notice that through your word? So is it possible that we are in one of those moments and we're just forgetting you need to just stop today and just meditate on the miracles he's done in your life already. Because when we stand against the Red Sea, which is where I believe that we are, and many have perceived that I'm not the only one preaching that. There are many I'm not even connected to, but we're connected in spirit, that are standing at the Red Sea in the spirit as a nation and as a people right now. And what we're sensing is that this is a Red Sea moment and that we need the Lord to move on our behalf. And he is going to, amen. But you may not notice it. Not only did they say, you brought us out here to die beforehand, but do you know, come on, we know the word. Man, Moses did not know what he was signing up for to lead that group of people. They come through the Red Sea. Come on, we don't need to read the story because we know it, but they come through the Red Sea, and for the next 40 years, all he hears is complaining and murmuring. And what's crazy is, is that God is supernatural. They don't even have to work. They got their, their wish. That's the, the wish of humanity. I just want to win the lotto and not work. I mean, the reason that scratch-offs exist and lottery is so successful in every state in the nation is because everybody wants the same thing. I just want to get provided for and not have to work. He supernaturally gives them manna every day. You don't have to go and work for food. I will give you supernatural food from heaven. Their clothes didn't wear out. Wear out. Their shoes don't wear out. And yet they complain and they murmur constantly. Then they build a golden calf to worship God their way. I want to worship God my way. And they create this, this false God and so on. It's so sad, and yet we have that story as a reminder of what humanity is in themselves and what we should be. Moses is a picture of one that trusted God, and looked to God, even though he was in the same exact circumstances they were. Amen. This is a moment 
where we must look, like the Bible says, and I love this story, I don't want to preach from it, but I want to read this story, that we need revelation. Everybody say revelation. The Bible says in Revelation over and over again that we need the eyes to see, ears to hear, right? Jesus said it. We need heavenly vision. And we need this type of vision. The Bible says in the book of 2 Kings, chapter 6, verse 8, it says, When the king of Aram was at war with Israel, he would confer with his officers and say, We will mobilize our forces at such and such a place. Verse 9, But immediately Elisha, the man of God, would warn the king of Israel, Do not go near that place, for the Arameans are planning to mobilize their troops there. Verse 12, It's not us, my lord the king, one of the officers replied. Elisha, the prophet in Israel, tells the king of Israel, Even the words you speak in the privacy of your bedroom. And go and find him, he says, so I can seize him. Verse 14, so they come one night and they surround his home with chariots and horses and even the city was surrounded. In verse 15, when Elisha's servant got up early the next morning and he went outside, there were troops and horses and chariots everywhere. And he said, oh, sir, what will we do now? Which is so significant. What will we do now? What are we going to do now? The answer is the same as it's always been, which is what we've always been doing. Trusting in our God, leaning in our God. Circumstances are irrelevant, which your mind does not compute, but that is the truth of his word. And the Bible says, he said in verse 16, in reply to him, Don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on. I want you to read this out loud because I don't think you believe me today. There are more. Thank you. There are more on our side than on. Okay, I'm going to start again. There are more on our side than on theirs. Amen. Then Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see what was there all along. Not what I'm going to pray for, but what he, in his lack of understanding, even though he was a man of God, and even though he obviously trusted God because he's given his life in servitude to him by serving me, working for you, God, this servant who will be in heaven with you forever and ever is lacking some vision in this moment, even though he's a man of God. Let him see what is already there. So it says, when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. The Bible does not say that Elisha prayed for horses of fire and chariots. 
The Bible does not say that Elisha wondered what God was going to do. The Bible says that Elisha did what God told him to do, which was be the prophet of the Lord, tell the king what's going on behind the scenes. That was his job. And then God took care of the unseen. But if you were to look moment by moment, what you saw was, I've been faithful to you, God, and yet now you're abandoning me. I'm doing what you've asked me to do, and now look, now you told me information about this foreign king. I went and I gave it faithfully, and now what? They're going to take me away and kill me? Going to take me away after all that? He doesn't say any of that. The Lord had his back just as he has your back today, just as he has this nation's back. But there is a moment of blindness that every single human on earth experiences before they decide to trust the Lord and see with different eyes and different vision. And that's where we're at right now. Right now, we must look, and I've said this like a broken record for years now, being a preacher, that we must not look with these eyes, but we must have heavenly eyes. But if you never listened to me before, hear me today. Today is that day that we must see that the Lord has more on our side than are on theirs, and His victory is not only coming, it's already in the works. Thank you, Lord. There will always be those that scoff. You know what's sad, what's breaking my heart right now, and I really believe it's breaking the Lord's heart? There is more scoffing going on by the church than by the world. Everybody's scoffing about everything, really, and I'm not going to get into that. I'll just leave it at that. I think you all know. But it's breaking my heart. I certainly know it's breaking me, a human being, just a speck of God's image, then it certainly is breaking his in his perfection without the humanity in between that says well and makes up all these excuses. And it's very sad. But the Lord is going to make a distinction. I want you to say this word for the next few minutes as I bring this sermon into rounding third here. I want you to say this word, distinction. The Lord is about to make a distinction. The Lord is about to expose something that is something we've been aware of in the unseen, but I really believe it's going to come into the scene finally, and we've been talking about this many, many, for many, many years. But the Lord is going to expose who are His and who are not. The Lord is going to make darkness very dark and light very light. There's been a muddy mix both in the world and in the church. We've said this before, but you go into a Starbucks and you go into the entryway of many modern churches and it's hard to tell what I'm in. Blindfold me going in the doors and take off the blindfold once I'm inside and I may not know. I heard about a church in Australia, and in their coffee shop in the entryway, they play secular music. And it's because 
They want the people in the world coming in to feel comfortable. They don't want them, you know, to, to run out. God forbid they heard a Christian song in a church at a church's coffee house. And so there's been a muddy mix, not just in the world. We can't just point our finger at the world. But we point our fingers at ourselves as the church. There has been no distinction for the world to say, well, I'm rejecting the world. I need to go to the church. You know, the sermon, the, you know, the gospel used to be this. Let's just say it. Because I think sometimes it needs to be said, even though we know it in this church. This used to be the gospel. Without Jesus, I'm a disgusting, horrible, low, slimy, dirty sinner. And if you don't think that's what you are, then you need to get saved today. But Jesus is an amazing answer to that issue and put his own blood on the cross so that when I repent of that flesh and turn from my wicked ways, right, because it's not just Old Testament, New Testament, but we're going to take the scriptures of the Old Testament, put it through the blood of Jesus, and now suddenly they make sense. And I turn and I follow him Now, he washes away my filth. Paul says, even my knowledge of God, without the revelation of Jesus' blood, is like excrement. Even knowledge of God, without Jesus. Even all my wisdom and knowledge, all the things I learned, all the things I grew up in the church but I was missing Jesus Christ, it's dung to me. That used to be the gospel so that when someone came from the world into the church, they were supposed to feel dirty. They were supposed to feel unworthy. That's the point. Not to leave them there, but to say, hey, you are missing something in your life. There's something wrong. Your relationship is not okay. It's not cool. Jesus is not your homeboy. But if you will repent and you will give him your life, he will wash it all away. He said his mercies are new every morning. He will never remember your sins again. But don't try to muddy it like you're not so bad because you are. And so the Lord is about to make a distinction between what is darkness and light. It's coming. And you know, it's the way that it comes may surprise us because many times throughout history, the way that the Lord really amplified light was that darkness got very dark and I believe that that's what is about to happen and has already been happening I was just talking to someone just the last couple days and I was talking about what was normal 20 years ago if you were to tell me what is accepted and normal today 20 years ago we would have been like I mean there's this, old, there's this old cheesy Christian movie where they've got this guy from the 1800s, right? I don't remember the name of it. Maybe you do, Jeannie. But this guy from the 1800s, he goes into a, like a movie theater, and he comes into our cities. And it's like an 80s or 90s Christian film, cheesy as always. But you know what? The heart of them was right. And, but the guy is shocked. He's like, I can't, I can't believe it. What's going on? Like, what is this? 
I can't believe it. And this is 20, 30 years ago. Imagine today the things that we just accept as normal. And, and <laughs> it's not funny. I, don't, I just don't know how to express it. But we are like, people want to say God doesn't judge. And I just think when God finally judges, they're going to be surprised. He's just so filled with mercy and grace. His grace and his mercy is the reason that people say, look, he doesn't judge. Because he doesn't want to. His word is filled. He pleads Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. He's pleading with them for what, 50 chapters, 60 chapters? You know, you go through these books, these giant books, and it's a little repetitive because it's the same thing over and over again because that's how much he doesn't want to do what he must do. But the Lord's about to make a distinction. And you know what the Bible says? Right there in Exodus chapter 14, I wanted to say a whole bunch more, but that's usually how it goes. So I'm going to try to pull this together and I will say some other things next time. But in Exodus chapter 14, the Bible says that at that very moment where he's about to bring his glory, he's going to show his glory, the Bible says, it says in verse 19, and the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel, this is the New King James Version, it says the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel, he moved and went behind them. So basically, the Red Sea is here. The children of Israel are against the Red Sea. And then there's this pillar of cloud, right? That was the Lord's glory. This is his pillar that he was leading them. He was in front of them, leading them. Now he comes behind them to be their rear guard. And the pillar of cloud went before them and stood behind them. So verse 20 says, So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus, it was a cloud and darkness to the one, and it gave light by night to the other. There was darkness on one side and light on the other. Everybody say there was darkness on one side and there was light on the other so that they did not come near each other all night. The Bible says in the book of Genesis, as we already talked about, it was formless and it's void and he spoke into it. And it says in verse 3 that then God said, the very first thing he does with this formless, empty void of darkness, the very first thing he does, verse 3 in Genesis, is that he says, let there be light and there was light, and God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. Supernaturally, what God is about to do in this hour is to separate, once and for all, the light and the darkness. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, it tells us, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner, or you might know this is don't be unequally yoked with the world, right? With an unbeliever. How can light live with darkness? Come on, this is New Testament. This is Corinthians. This is God's word. 
How can light be yoked with darkness? There is a time where Jesus went into the streets and he preached to them and they, and they judged him for it because they didn't understand it. But Jesus never, ever compromised. Jesus never became like darkness so that darkness thought that light was cool. Jesus stayed the light and whoever would receive him, which happened to be ironically, was the hooker. Meanwhile, those that should have been looking for him reject him. Jesus did not compromise his message, but it goes on to say, it says, what harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? What union can there be between God's temple and idols? We are the temple of the living God. I want you to say this out loud because we need to hear ourselves say this. I am the temple of the living God. God who rules above the universe. God who spoke nothingness into existence lives in me. Do you realize how amazing and how powerful that is? Do you realize what a mockery it is when we taint that? God is not going to judge this nation for abortion first. He will eventually judge. He ju the Bible says that there was nothing that he has missed. I'm just putting it in natural 2020 human English. But there is nothing that God has not seen, and everything will be accounted for. Every single thing we do or say. But firstly, he will judge the church that just brushed it off as nothing. And I know that we haven't here, but it certainly, by 2020, has become accepted of, well, that's just what this nation is, and that's just who we are, and we fought that battle for a long time, and it's not worth fighting it. We just want to win souls. That's kind of what I've kind of picked up in, the, in Christianity. It's just kind of become... Well, that's just what this nation is. We can't do anything about it. Because we're afraid that they're going to call us all kinds of names when we have an issue with it. We don't need to hate them. We don't need to point our finger at them. But we need to point our finger at the issue and still call it what it is, murder. We just call it what it is, not the person. We still love you, and there's an answer. You may not like it, but it's still the same answer. Remember, the disciples said, hey, it's Jesus, and they said, sure. Why don't you get on a cross just like him, and why don't we put you in the, lion, in the lions, and why don't we put you up on a stake, and we'll put some oil on you, and we'll light you on fire, and, and you'll be a nice lamppost for me tonight. That was their answer, but they were unafraid to say what was right and what was wrong. And we've become muted. We've become quiet. We've become closed within the walls because we're afraid to offend anyone in this modern era. And you know what? They weren't unafraid to, be offend, to offend people, and they paid a much higher price than we would today. Eventually, that may come as well, but today, that's not our, the stakes that we're at, and we're still afraid to say the truth. And the Bible says, he said to them in Corinthians, 
How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? What union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. And God said, I will live in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things, and I will welcome you. See, there it is. You don't believe me. I'd go through a a myriad of verses that says what we are in the world. That's what the Bible calls the world, filthy things. That's what we were before Christ. We should not be afraid to say that. We should not be offended that God calls us filthy when we were. Thank God his blood has washed us clean. Amen. And I will be your father and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Revelation 18, verse 4. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins. Referencing Babylon, the great Babylon, right? And Babylon, again, is a picture of the world, the world system, the worldliness. If you go through your word, that's a metaphor for worldliness. It may be a physical place one day, just as it was uh, in the book of Revelation. Uh, but uh, it is also a symbolism of worldliness. Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. It goes on, that's the New King James Version that I read, and then it goes on in the NLT, her sins are piled as high as heaven, and God remembers her evil deeds. She glorified herself and lived in luxury, so match it now with torment and sorrow. Oh, this is the Bible, by the way. This is not my opinion. It's not my feelings. Sorry, I don't think I'm offending anybody in this room. But if we were to offend anyone with this scripture, well, then I'm putting that on God. That's why I'm just an ambassador. And remember, they used to kill ambassadors, right? Don't kill the messenger. You know where that term comes from? Because nobody likes the message. Messenger, though, is just a conduit in between the message speaker and the message itself. I'm just the messenger, right? But so the world can be offended And when we're put on the spot and they say, well, what do you believe? We should just say, I believe the Bible. It's very simple. I see these movie stars that are Christian, and then they get asked very direct questions, and I get it. They're trying to pinch them. They're trying to trap them. I completely understand why then the Christian you know, movie star, Christian singer is like a little elusive about their answer. I understand, but it's not worth it. I understand what they were attempting, but it's not worth it because all we're doing is this muddying Christianity. Like it's, you know, we're just like you. It's all cool. We're all the same. It's, there's no difference between you and I. I'm just saved. When it should be, listen, what do you believe? You may not agree with me. This should be their answer. And I love you. I don't hate you. I don't care what you think. I do not hate you. I love you. And Jesus loves you but I believe his word. And that's it. And don't let them trap you anymore, but just say, I believe the Bible. Maybe after the show, we'll sit down and I'll show you some verses. (laughs) I've never seen that before. 
Well, there's many direct, there's many ways to God. That's what they say, and they get pinched. God's still God, but there's many ways to get to him. What does that even mean? It says, the world, she boasted her in her heart. And this is what the Lord's about to deal with. And I had, I had intended to go back into Exodus. So let me just tell you quickly, because I'm closing here. In Exodus, it says this. Because I know the story, you know the story. We don't have time for the scripture references for, to respect your time. But listen, this is what happens. God sends Moses into Egypt. He's going to deal with Egypt. You realize what's happening is two things. The Bible says very clearly what was happening. God was pulling his people out of the world system, out of Egypt, just as Christ pulled us out of the world. Through the blood of Jesus, right? The blood on the doorpost, the final picture, all right? It's a picture of Jesus and what was happening when you were unsaved and being saved. You can go to that story in Egypt and see what was happening in the unseen to rescue you. It's like line upon line. What God does, the Bible says that, it says it in Exodus, and then it references the story later in, in Numbers, that Moses was not only dealing with Pharaoh, but he was dealing with the gods of Egypt. And these gods of Egypt, they had so much power, which was only given to them by God. I mean, the fallen angels, the demons, the devil, we don't fully understand it, but any power that they have was given to them by God. And there is a power. You know that there's even miracles, and this is why people get weird about it, but there are miracles that Satan can perform. That's my Bible. The Bible says that the beast in, in, in Revelation, we just read it together as a church, there's going to be some weird miracles and weird things, and, and it's going to confuse people. But the Bible says in Exodus that there was a point, everybody say there was a point, where the Bible says the magicians couldn't match the power of God any longer. And then the Bible says I'm going to make a distinction between Egypt and my people. Not only is your power not capable of matching my power, which is, that's the first thing. The Lord's going to show his power. I really believe it through his church. And the world may miss it. Even the people missed it. We're not getting back into that. But it's going to happen. You, with your eyes to see and ears to hear, you keep your, your eyes on him, and you will see that in your lifetime. You may miss it if we're deaf, dumb, and blind like the, word, the, the Lord warns us not to be. But it's going to happen. But simultaneously, while he's doing that, the Bible says that he made a distinction. And from a particular point, from the flies, the Bible says, from now on, my people, I'm going to start doing some things to really shock you. And I'm going to be, there's going to be flies here and no flies in Goshen. There's going to be darkness here and there's going to be light there. You're going to lose your firstborn sons, even your firstborn animals. And my people are going to be covered in my blood. And that is the season we're about to come into. I really believe it. We're, the Lord is truly making a distinction. And so, and then, so. With that said, what I meant to reference in Exodus, all of that, what I would have read, and you could go back and read it, you can ask me for the verses. 
He says in verse 8 of Revelation 18, Therefore these plagues will overtake her in a single day, death and mourning and famine. She will be completely consumed by fire. For the Lord God who judges... I'm going to say that one more time, because I don't think... God doesn't judge. All right. Revelation 18, yep, verse 8. Yep, that's the Bible. Just making sure it was in my own notes. For the Lord God who judges her is mighty. God's about to do some judgments upon Egypt, upon the world system. God is supernatural. It's been 430 years metaphorically. Maybe it's been 430 years physically too, for all we know. Maybe it's right on time for some sort of timetable we don't even know about back in the 1500s. That makes a lot of sense because that's when they started talking about this nation, America, right? 430 years ago, so we're at, what's that, 1590, right? My math. Homeschooled. 1590? Hey, that's right about when we started talking about some things. Not just that we discovered the land, but let's get over there and let's do something with this land, this unknown land. It might be to the day, but all I know is this, that God's about to deal with the gods, the little g gods that have ruled. They have desired a blood sacrifice, and this nation gave it to them. What documented 40 million at least babies have been murdered, calling it what it is, murdered. A blood sacrifice, just like the Bible. We're talking this is biblical. They literally gave their little g god blood sacrifice them sacrifice and we you know we just crossed over this and it's coming and that's why the lord the reason we're about to really start shaking is because infanticide right that's the term right they're just working on passing it fully but in new york it'll be the mother and father's decision if the baby lives the baby's alive, like literally in another room alive. The abortion didn't go right, and the baby's alive. Let's have a conversation if we're going to finish this or not. If you don't, you know, I don't, you want to use some weird language, you want to use Latin and call it not a baby, right? Call it a fetus, which is just baby in Latin, whatever. So be it. You're still totally deceived, but... Oh, uh, hello, the baby's alive, and it's sitting on a table in the other room. And we're going to call that normal, and I'm the bigot. Uh, hello, Revelation 18. If God doesn't judge that, then I don't believe in God anymore. Who is God if he doesn't judge that? And if he's going to judge that, then this whole then then I'm gonna start looking at the whole world. I'm looking at his word and I'm looking at his 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 word differently. And I'm like, wow, we need to be light right now. If that's the case, if we're like in the plagues and we're in the judgments, I need to get the blood over my door. Lord, cleanse my heart. Forgive me for the things I've forgotten about. I mean, things need to be right, and I need to be your ambassador. I need to be your light right now. If this is where we're at, guys, this is where we're at. We've become normalized by it. it's not normal. And I don't care what they say about us. New normal, I can't swear. I'm not going to swear. It, make, it gives me worldly human words in my mind. It makes me that irate. Sorry. We are still flesh. I don't say those words, but when I think about how they make me feel like I'm crazy, and then they abort a bait, they want to kill an alive baby and call me 
the one who doesn't understand that that's her body. Well, now it's the baby's body. Okay, it's not your body anymore. That's the baby's body. If we cross that hurdle, I'm telling you, get your bomb shelter ready. Because the Lord cannot overlook it any longer. It's time to be the church. It's time to speak the truth. It's time to be unafraid to say what is right and what is wrong. That's what Moses went in and did. We could get, I could get so into it, but his rod is the word, right? The Lord gave him the message, and he went in and proclaimed the message. Guess what? The world didn't like the message. There's not one time that Pharaoh's like, I like this. I like this, Moses, and I like your rod today. He only responds when God begins to judge, and then he comes back like they always do, right? We could go, we could get deeper and deeper, and I'm going to stop there. Lord, we just thank you and praise you. We're, you're so good, and you're so kind. You've been so merciful to this nation, Lord. Lord, we're, we're praying for an election, and, and, and Lord, that's a big part of it, but there, there's so much more going on. There's so much more going on behind the scenes right now. Lord, we're praying for peace in this nation, but Lord God, we pray, we'll be been praying. Lord, please hold off your judgment. Hold off, Lord God, through the eyes of grace and mercy, through the blood of Jesus, Lord, that this message of truth, the message of life, Lord, let it be spoken. Let it be proclaimed. Give us the platforms, Lord, to speak the truth one final time, Lord, before you judge that we would recognize the hour, that this is the hour that we must be the light and speak the truth because the Lord is still the Lord and he must deal with this situation and this time. God, we pray to you. We look to you. We call upon you and we ask you, Lord, to anoint us. Anoint this church again, Lord, afresh. Anoint our mouths, Lord God. Anoint us to be your light, to be your truth, and to speak to Egypt, who doesn't want to hear it, but we must do it anyway. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.